This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Juicers, I'm Alyssa. And I'm Brooke. And this is For God's Sake, Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Welcome back to episode 21. Hey, hey. And happy post Halloween. Yes. Hope you guys had a good one. Did you have a good one? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I didn't really do anything Halloween y, but I went to my best friend Shannon's house and I practiced on her wedding hair. Um, it turned out cute, but I don't even know that that's what we're going to do. I kind of told her, like, hey, you might want to find somebody professional <laughs> in Helen. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was cute. It's just, like, I'm not a pro. Right. And Shannon has a very fine hair. So yeah. it was just really difficult. And the curls kept falling. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we did that. And uh, her man cooked us dinner. We had uh, chicken legs, Brussels sprouts, and broccoli, and, like, a delicious salad. Um, so it was just the three of us. We hung out and, uh, they, you know, they just moved into this really pretty house out in Rutledge, but, um, the neighborhood is like the spot in Rutledge, like really? where you go trick or treating. So oh. it was constant, like ring, ring. That's Halloween. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was really fun. I enjoyed my time with her. It was my first time I had seen her new house and it's beautiful and I'm super duper proud of her. Um, but yeah, she gets married next Saturday. So oh wow, very very close. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my Halloween. Um, I dropped Ansley off at her boyfriend's house uh, <laughs> before we did that. That was the first time I've like dropped her off with a boy. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I've had like her little boyfriends hang out with us. Um, I guess just knowing the parents in this case made me feel a little bit more secure. You know, right? But she enjoyed herself. She uh handed out candy to kids with the boyfriend and hung out with the family and stuff so i think she had a good time she was my kid is like super shy you guys oh my god is she shy and she was like petrified to get out of my car when i went to drop her off it was so funny but i was finally able to get her out and she really had a good time so (laughs) what about your halloween it was okay um we so every year we do this like annual weenie roast at my grandparents' house, and mm-hmm. we always did that to celebrate Halloween because, as I've said in other episodes, like <laughs> my parents didn't allow Halloween, mm-hmm. and um, so my grandma loves Halloween, and um, you know, my dad and his sister always celebrated Halloween when they were growing up. Yeah. So she started doing this weenie roast on the last Saturday of every October. And it was to, I'm doing air quotes, celebrate my father's birthday when really it was her way of like giving us a Halloween. Yeah. She would always, um, make the, the great pumpkin come and see us when we were kids. She would uh, make Halloween baskets and, uh, she would put them out um, while we were all distracted and be like, the great pumpkin came and left oh, her these baskets. Cute. And yeah, so... Um, hey, that's a cute Halloween tradition. It is. It was always our favorite thing to do every year. Yeah. Like, above Christmas and everything. Like, we looked forward to it. And so, it just so happened to fall on Halloween this year. Cool. And um, 
it would be fun it would have been a lot better if titus wasn't obsessed with throwing rocks and leaves into the fire pit because oh you know gosh. we roast like marshmallows and hot dogs on the fire yeah and um he just constantly would just wanted to throw that's such a boy thing to do yeah and so they do it in like a burn barrel mm-hmm. and he kept wanting to touch the barrel oh my you gosh. know that thing is probably it would scorch his hand yeah it he was, kept acting like he was gonna touch it well not like he was gonna touch it but like if like a leaf or something fell like because it was like sitting on top of a bunch of stones he would kind of reach under there Ugh. and you know one slip up and he'd touch it and it would it'd be the bottom of it you know yeah it was really scary and um he's a wild man yes and like literally i told you that one time when we went that he um was running around the yard because there's so much land mm-hmm. and he would you know keep saying titus run titus run mm-hmm. literally w- once we pulled up he started going titus run titus run <laughs> that's what he needs though it's just land to just run around yeah and like he doesn't go towards the road or to the woods or anything he pre- pretty much stays by the house but just runs Good. so it's a good way to get some energy out of him. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But, yeah, we had fun. Jackson and Elena came, and Jackson um, is a very shy kid. Mm-hmm. Like, Ansley shy. Like, just scared to do everything. But right. he, like... Had a great time. Oh, yeah. Like, he um, asked my mom to go inside with him to see the baby because Francis was there. And so he went with my mom inside, and that would have never happened, like, not too long ago. So he is breaking out of his shell. Getting more comfortable, huh? Yep. So it was a good weekend. Well, good. We yep. hope you guys enjoyed your Halloween. I'm kind of sad. Like, I think my kids are getting to the age where, like, trick-or-treating's almost over. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's okay. They got to get big sometime, right? Well, didn't you guys buy costumes? Uh, Yeah, let's not even talk about that. Okay. No, no like, for <laughs> real, like, I spent way too much money, you guys, on costumes. Um, The... Hocus Pocus, the three costumes uh, for me, my stepdaughter, and my daughter. And dude, I took a picture. Like, let me just tell you, this shit looked legit. It looked really good. Like, I was Winifred, Ansley was Mary, and Ariel was Sarah. And we looked amazing. And that was our plan. The three of us were going to go out together. Like, I love, like, kind of having a theme every year. Mm -hmm. Last year, Alyssa did uh, The Purge with us. And that was super fun. But, um, yeah, so I, like, spent way too much money, bought these girls these costumes, bought myself a costume. And then my stepdaughter decided to bail on us last minute. So I'm hoping that maybe next year we can just do the hocus pocus thing. Yeah. Because next year she doesn't have a choice. She's going with us. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and we would have gone trick or treating this year if it wasn't for the the weenie roast. We'll do it all together next year like we did last year. Yeah, that was really fun. So that was very fun. Maybe Titus will be better behaved than two. I'm sure he will, but I mean he'll be five. Oh my god. That's so scary. Half a decade. cannot believe it where's the know. you know my mom always said that the time flew by when you were a mom and oh, it does i did not believe her but ever since i've had time like i can't believe it's been four years oh i know four and however many months since he is since he was born mm-hmm. like it just it blows my mind yep He's a big boy. Like, the four years of high school seemed so long. Oh, yeah. When we were kids, it's like, oh, my God, I want to be an adult so bad. And then it comes, and you're like, ooh. And crying <laughs> in the closet. I want to be a kid again. And you can never be. That's the sad part. I know it. 
<sighs> okay, well, anyway, um, I guess we can go ahead and start, yeah? Well, let's do it. All right, so my case this evening, um, I first I'd like to give a trigger warning. Um, this case details the sexual assault of a minor, so this is your warning to turn this off now if this is a trigger for you. And here we go. Both Stephen Hayes and Joshua Komoserjewski have pleaded not guilty to try and avoid the death penalty. They are being tried separately, but prosecutors say they are both equally guilty, that they acted together to rape, rob, and kill. So Sunday, July 22nd, 2007 was a beautiful summer day in the wealthy, family-oriented, seemingly safe town of Cheshire, Connecticut. That morning, the Pettit family went to church, and later husband and father, Dr. William Pettit, went to play golf with his father. Meanwhile, his wife, 48-year-old school nurse Jennifer Hawk Pettit, who suffered from multiple sclerosis, and their 11-year-old daughter named Michaela, also lovingly referred to as KK, were out grocery shopping. Uh, they were picking up food for a family dinner that 11-year-old Michaela was planning on cooking. Aww. She dreamt of being a chef, and she often cooked for the family. You know, it's funny. When I was 11, I wanted to be a chef and open up my own restaurant. Cute. I think that's amazing, 11. I wish my kid at 11 was cooking. She's 13 and she doesn't cook. Right. So that's adorable. Uh, Little did these two ladies know, a 26-year-old stranger by the name of Joshua Komasarjevsky. I'm going to have to say this a million times, guys, so bear with me. Komasarjevsky. Uh, who was a drug-addicted and seasoned burglar with a long criminal rap sheet, including uh, 18 previous home invasions, was watching them. Oh, my God. Unbeknownst to them, Komisar Jevsky followed them home from the grocery store and then left with a master plan in mind. Oh, God. Komisar Jevsky, who had only been freed from his latest electronic ankle bracelet for four days. Four. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah. Thought that he had hit the jackpot. The house was one of the biggest ones on the street, and he thought for sure that he would walk out of that one a rich man. Goodness gracious. So while we're not exactly sure what attracted Joshua Komisarjevsky to the woman and child, um, was it the fact that they just looked wealthy? Or was it the fact that Joshua Komisarjevsky, who is a presumed pedophile, was attracted to the little girl? We really don't know, but uh, I assume it was probably a combination of those two things. Well, considering what happens, I would go ahead and assume it probably had more to do with the little girl. Yeah. Yeah. So sad. So what we do know for sure is that Commissar Jevsky planned to later rob the Pettit family. He enlisted the help of his good friend, 44-year-old Stephen Hayes, another career criminal and crack addict (laughs) whom he'd met at Sullivan Halfway House between their stints in prison. 
Crack addict? Crack addict. Yeah, <laughs> these dudes are complete, total fucking piece of shit losers. So later that evening, Stephen Hayes sent a text message to Koma Sarjevsky. This is a tough one, guys. What's so you're going to have to name? forgive me. Joshua. Just call him Joshua. Yeah, I know, but I've got it written out like his last name, but I'll, I'll try to do the Joshua thing. It would make things probably a lot easier on me. Right. So Stephen Hayes sent this te- text to Joshua saying, quote, I'm chomping at the bit to get started. Need a margarita soon. What? Okay. Yeah. Crackhead. Yeah. Uh, Hayes then texted, we still on? Joshua replies, yes. Hayes next text said, soon? With a question mark. To which Joshua replied, I'm putting the kid to bed. Hold your horses. Excuse me? Yep. What? Oh, oh, yeah. Hayes replied, dude, the horses want to get loose. LOL. Ew. Yes, Joshua Komasarjevsky had a five-year-old daughter at the time, and Stephen Hayes had two teenage children. And with me telling you guys this, it's going to make you even more sick to find out what these men did. Um, his poor daughter. I wonder if he was doing anything to her. Right. It was so sad. Awful. So um, now a little bit about these two burglar burglars 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 as we will call them for right now burglars burglars uh, but trust me these two become much more than just burglars as this story develops. Um, this is off topic, but have you ever seen that TikTok of? It's like. Um, I don't know what type of Asian she is, but uh, she was talking about how she's really good at English. And then she mm-hmm. was like, but then I realized how bad I am at English because I can't pronounce. And then she says burglars. <laughs> and oh, my God, it is so funny because she can't say it. Yeah. And no, I haven't seen it. That's hilarious. I'm going to show it to you later, but it makes me laugh so hard. Burglars. I but she like- makes it into a joke. So like we're, I'm not making fun of her. She literally made it into a joke. That's like one of those words like Worcestershire or like rural Rural. rural yeah, yeah i hate that, I hate that word so there's much. another one too i hate uh roy 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 I, I have a hard time saying it like roy yeah like roy yeah hmm. i don't like it <laughs> okay well, apparently i struggle with <clears throat> homicides <so>. homicide <laughs> i don't know why i say that <sighs> so joshua a coma sarjevsky i'm just gonna say it nice and slow was born on august 10th 1980 According to friends and family, Joshua was a brilliant but troubled young man who was, quote, very loving and very caring. He was born to a 16-year-old girl who was impregnated by a mechanic who was barely out of his teens, according to adoption officials. When he was only two weeks old, he was adopted by Benedict Komisarjevsky, the son of theatrical director Theodore Komisarjevsky and his wife, Jude. I'm assuming this is Jude, not Judy, because it is spelled J-U-D-E, but I could be wrong here. Um, And this family resided in Cheshire. His father, Benedict, has been described as being critical, cold, and controlling. Well, with the name Theodore, I would assume. His father was Benedict. Oh, with the name Benedict, I would assume. Grandfather's Theodore. Oh, either way. You can tell they're rich just by their names, (laughs) right? Benedict Theodore. Yeah. So while uh, Joshua's mother, Jude, was the submissive one. 
Joshua Komasarjevsky was homeschooled by his mother. His mother says that she and her husband tried their very best to instill Christian values in their son, but that he had poor self-image and suffered with depression and had been under, and I quote, satanic influences through other youths. Okay. (laughs) Jude said that her son was, quote again, easily manipulated and controlled by others. And she says that she recalled going into his room at one point, seeing satanic symbols on the walls and the words death, die, and suicide. Oh. Commissar Jevsky claims to have suffered a lifetime of sexual abuse himself. Oh, no. From who? He says that his uh, foster brother, the family also would bring in fosters, Mm -hmm. uh, raped him when he was a child and made him pose in sexual positions with his sister, who was two years younger than him. Oh, my gosh. She was young enough that Joshua remembers that she was young enough to be wearing pink footy pajamas. That is so sad. It was ingrained in Commissar Jevsky's mind at a very young age that abuse was normal behavior between brothers, even though his foster brother would make fun of him for crying out in pain during the abuse. I guess if that's all you've ever known, you don't know any better. Yeah, well, I know a lot of pedophiles come from having sexual abuse done to them. Absolutely. Not always, but... Absolutely. So, Commissar Jevsky also claims that he was physically abused and tortured by the same foster brother, including being burned with lit cigarettes. Commissar Jevsky began using crystal meth heavily at the age of only 14. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. That is so young. Yeah. Additionally, and I think this is, is important to note, he did have a history of recurrent childhood concussions. Which I think a lot of people that do these things in so many cases have had concussions. Like a head injury. Yes, yes. I have noticed that as well. We actually do um, have a friend of mine whose husband has had a traumatic brain injury. And she has said that she would love to come on as a guest sometime if we do like the Aaron Hernandez case. Or who are some of the other famous killers that have literally had, all of them have had brain literally injuries all of them so eventually when we do one of those stories um she will come on as a guest speaker and i i can't wait we need another microphone yes we will have to do that so in the early 1990s uh joshua i'm gonna call him that because i just this commissar jevsky who i think i'm finally getting it uh joshua's sister naomi accused him of molesting her during the penalty phase of his trial, Commissar Jevsky's father conceded that this was probably true. And Joshua Commissar Jevsky committed his first burglary when he was only 14. That's not very uncommon, I feel. Yeah, it's just teenage stupidity, I kind of think, at that point. Well I, don't e- well, I think with a lot of kids, maybe, but I think people like him, it's not yeah. just teenage being stupid. Yeah, it's literally his brain has issues. Yeah. So, in 2002, he was arrested for 18 home invasions. Wait, how old was he? In 2002, uh, so he was born in 1980, so he would have been... Like 22. 22. Yeah. So he was arrested for 18 home invasions. Holy crap. Later, his defense attorney says that Sarjevsky told him about every burglary he had ever committed in perfect detail. 
So let me just say he was a very smart guy. That scares me so bad because, like, I cannot remember shit. I know. Like, I can't remember anything me even either. Like i can't really remember what i did five minutes ago right like <laughs> important events in my life i it's so fuzzy mm-hmm. <laughs> so. that is insane that some people have memories like that yeah i couldn't um, <clears throat> i mean i wish but so commissar jevsky told his attorney that after robbing the upscale homes he would go into the rooms where the occupants were sleeping and listen to them breathe how scary is that i'm going back on that for a second about the memory thing uh-huh I feel like a lot of serial killers have a really good memory like that. A lot of them are brilliant geniuses. Yeah, I wonder if like having a memory like that can just traumatize you more. Because think like if he has a memory that good, mm-hmm. and you know he you know dealt with all of that abuse. You know, a lot of times abuse becomes fuzzy. Yeah, like your body still reacts to it, but you can't really remember it. But think about having to like when you think about it, remember relive, it all yeah. the time. Yeah. That's insane. That makes sense. No excuse for his fucking disgusting behavior. But oh, no, no, no. But, like, that's that must be a torturous thing absolutely. to live with. That makes a lot of sense. So, um, again, because I just find this incredibly creepy and ballsy, but um, after he would rob these homes, he would go into the rooms where the homeowners and children and whatnot were sleeping, and he would listen to them breathe. He did this because he enjoyed the feeling of invading people's homes and violating their security. Oh, I yeah. hate that feeling. That's like, even terrible. when I walk in on somebody sleeping, like, even yeah. if they're, like, on the couch, I feel... Like, I don't want to be around you while you sleep. Well, for instance, like, I don't like the feeling of invading people's security. So, like, at my business, I have security cameras, right? Mm -hmm. Like, people are like, do you ever, like, look at them? And I'm like, no. Like, I feel like if they're at work and I'm at home, I'm not going to sit there and watch what they're doing and listen to their conversations that's fucking weird yeah i don't know want to know what you're saying when i'm not there you know what yeah. i mean i feel i don't want to violate anyone in that way right you know yeah like people who want to read minds are insane to yeah. me because oh why like, would you want to do that people are so different in their heads yeah true um he was also a huge fan of robbing police officers homes uh, yeah sounds like accurate like control freak like Mm -hmm. just gets off on that um like a power trip yeah yeah yeah. like you have no idea right now Mm -hmm. i think that's terrifying i would never want to do that yeah (laughs) so um at the time this story takes place commissar jevsky does have a girlfriend named caroline okay she was 18 at the time Caroline's father did not approve of the relationship because of Komisarjevsky's criminal history. A good father. Yeah. He was certain that Joshua Komisarjevsky was nothing but a loser, career criminal. And he was correct. Yes. Caroline's father also considered Komisarjevsky a pedophile and was certain that his only interest in his teenage daughter was her age and her childlike appearance. But they were, like, two years apart, right? Yes, but Caroline looked very young. Gotcha. She just had a very childlike look to her. And I also watched some interviews with her, and she even spoke very childlike. Like, Hmm. you would have thought she was, like, 15. That's scary for her, because... Yeah. So now a little bit about Stephen J. Hayes. So Stephen J. Hayes was born uh, May 30th, 1963. He was a lot older than joshua 
He was born in Homestead, Florida. In the case of Hayes' childhood, it appears that he was often the torturer, not the tortured. Hayes' young, younger brother, Matthew, read a letter that he had written to the court talking about how his older sibling burned him on the stove Ooh. and once held a gun to his head. What? Yeah. Matthew Hayes stated later in the letter, Stephen is what Stephen is because he is a coward. As a family of this monster, we all have to live with this nightmare. Oh, my gosh. Now, Hayes did have an abusive father and frequently witnessed him beat his mother. Hayes himself, as well as his brother, Matthew, were on the receiving end of his father's rage. Mm-hmm. So if he was abusive, you know, he also he was the torturer. But, you know, I kind of see it was probably ingrained in him to he be that way. It, yeah. yeah, it was learned behavior. By the age of 14, Hayes was smoking weed daily and committing burglaries to pay for the habit. (laughs) At 15, he was sent to a psychiatric hospital. Hayes, too, was said to have been sexually abused as a child. Hayes was convicted as an adult for the first time at the age of 16 in 1980. He was paroled in 1982, but violated his parole just seven weeks later. During the time between this incident and the Cheshire murders, Hayes was arrested nearly 30 times. These Neither one of these motherfuckers should have been on the streets. Mm-mm. Period. I feel like by your fifth arrest, something needs to be done. Yeah. And what's crazy about this, I did not put this in my notes, but... Everybody, like, that was interviewed said, like, yeah, both of these dudes, like, were petty criminals, but they would have never seen, like, a violent streak in them. I don't know. I feel like if you can rob a house and, and listen to people breathe. Or torture your own brother. Exactly. You have a violent streak in you. But neither sure. of them had ever been arrested for anything violent. It's, it's only... But that doesn't mean they weren't doing it. Right. Or it's like, it's a, it's going to bubble over and... Mm-hmm. It's going to happen one day, and guess what? It did. Mm-hmm. I I personally feel like if you are a, a burglar, you have some violence. Oh in yeah, you. because what do you do when the homeowner wakes up? You're just going to run out the door? No, Be- more oh, than likely you're going to attack them. Here's all your stuff back. Yeah. So uh, he spent most of his adult life incarcerated. Hayes told a podcast host in 2009 during an interview that he is transgender and is undergoing hormone therapy in prison. Was it true? He is, yes. Yeah. Which I think is weird because, to be honest, like, I just uh, listen to this. So Hayes still used the name Stephen on the podcast, and he didn't say which pronouns were preferred. Mm-hmm. So we will continue to call him him Stephen. Okay. Hayes claimed to be affected by gender dysmorphia, which is where a person's outward appearance does not match their mental and emotional state. Uh I think he's full of shit, if you want me to be honest. Like, all of a sudden, he gets in prison and he says, this is who I am, but you've never said that before. Like, I I just don't believe it. I think he's a freaking drama queen. Why would he want to do that, though? Why would he want to what? Like, if he wasn't yeah like if he wasn't like i don't why would he want to kill a family you know i don't know it's just weird to me i don't know i wouldn't be surprised if he just wanted to go to the women's prison that's why he was doing it honestly probably fucking crackhead (laughs) 
so also just so you guys know we are totally fine with oh i was about to say 100 percent. yeah but this fucker i just just, just don't believe it i don't believe it right so um he also admitted to having a recurring drug problem as we know yeah obviously hayes said i'm a transgender i was diagnosed at 16 with sexual identity disorder my family never acknowledged it and i was never treated well you know what it could be also like Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure you can get those kind of drugs for free in prison Uh uh-huh so i mean maybe if he really did struggle with that maybe he just felt like that was his opportunity to to transition yeah maybe maybe i don't know i just i I don't believe anything these fuckers say so right uh during the podcast hayes expressed now he has expressed remorse for what he what he has done well Mm -hmm. joshua not so much but um he says there's no defense for what we did i want no part of this trial the family doesn't deserve to go through this anymore Hayes spoke of having a drug relapse and being in a financially difficult place at the time of the home invasion. I wasn't a monster, he said. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. You did some fucked up shit. So, as you're probably all aware of by now, Komisarjevsky and Hayes did carry out their plan to rob the Pettit home. Around 3 a.m. on July 23rd, 2007, just hours after Commissar Jevsky followed Miss Pettit and her daughter home, the pair entered the Pettit home at 300 Sorghum Mill Drive through an unlocked basement door. You guys lock your doors. Yeah, it doesn't matter how safe you assume your neighborhood is. Lock your doors and windows. <sighs> mm-hmm. So upon entering, to their surprise... They found the man of the house, Dr. William Pettit, an endocrinologist, asleep on a couch in the family sunroom. Oh, no. Dr. Pettit Pettit was one of the top diabetes specialists in the country. Wow. Mm. Yeah. This was a well-off family. Yeah. Obviously. And and good people. Mm Mm-hmm. Koma Sarjevsky beat Dr. Pettit so badly in the skull with a baseball bat that it knocked him out. And then the two men tied him to a pole in the basement with rope and zip ties. Oh, God. So it's kind of like they weren't expecting him to be there. And they were like, shit, like, what do we do? We got to beat him to death. Beat him with a baseball bat? Yep. Good idea, guys. Dr. Pettit finally woke up confused and in shock. Probably in a lot of pain, too. Poor guy. So Koma's, uh, I thought this was an interesting little thing. And I, I don't even know how to feel about this. But... Commissar Jevsky later came back to prop up the doctor's head with pillows to make him more comfortable while the monsters went about destroying his entire life. So it's like, okay, was that like a nice gesture or like, fuck you? Like, why did you do that? Like, literally, when I get into the story, you guys, it is so atrocious and heartbreaking. I, I just I don't understand why he did that. Yeah, I know BTK did weird shit like that, too. And it's like, um, like in podcasts I listen to about it, they think it's more of a, um, like, kind of get you to trust them more and be like a, like a okay. little more like they're not going to kill me because they're having compassion for that my head, sense. you know? Well, that makes sense because later we do find out something that a uh, doctor, I'm sorry, uh, Jennifer Pettit says, mm-hmm. and you're going to be like, whoa. So, and when I get to that, I'll tell you, it kind of okay. does go back to what you just said. 
Um, so when Hayes and Kim Sarjewski made their way up the stairs, they found Jennifer Hawk Pettit and Michaela in bed together in the married couple's bedroom. Michaela had fallen asleep while reading a Harry Potter novel beside her mom. Aww. The Pettit's other daughter, 17-year-old Haley, who had just graduated from a private high school uh, where she did cross country and basketball and was an honor roll A-plus student, was asleep in her bedroom. Haley uh, planned on attending Dartmouth College to follow her father's footsteps and study medicine. Uh, Just a little bit more about the lovely Haley. Um, She was as kind and humble as they come. She was an active fundraiser for for multiple sclerosis research following her mother's diagnosis with the disease. Um, I read somewhere that she had single-handedly raised about $50,000. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. So, of course, Haley not being one to brag, not many people knew about the young woman's fundraising accomplishments. Wow. She just didn't. She wasn't that type. You know, sweet girl. Mm -hmm. So the men then tied up the three women, put pillowcases over their heads, returned Michaela to her bedroom and bound each of the women to their beds. Oh, my God. The robbery was a disappointing one for the disgusting duo. The two were certain that the Pettit family would have a safe full of cash and expensive jewelry in the home. Do most people do that? I feel like no. I feel like you just have your money in the bank exactly. or like different banks. I feel like, it, well, you know, this was several years ago, but I think nowadays at least people don't really keep like valuables, like just laying around their home like that. Yeah. Like because there is so much of bullshit like this. Right. So, uh, but there's just to their surprise, there really wasn't much of anything. Mm-hmm. There was, however, a checkbook indicating a bank account containing thousands of dollars. Yeah. Determined not to walk away empty-handed, the team hatched a plot to take Jennifer to the bank as soon as it opened at 9 a.m., where they would force her to withdraw $15,000. While the family was bound and the pair was waiting for daybreak, they drank beer out of the family's fridge, and at some point, Hayes went to a nearby gas station to fill up two gallon jugs of gasoline. As we get further in this story, that little line right there makes this seem 100% premeditated. Well, I mean, even... Why are you buying gasoline? It was like four in the morning when they did this. Oh, my God. So 9 a.m. finally arrives. Stephen Hayes loads Jennifer Hawk Pettit into the car and pulls into the Bank of America parking lot. He allows the terrified mother to go in alone but not before telling her that he would kill her daughters if she didn't return with $15,000 or if anyone called the police. Trembling, terrified, and exhausted, she walked into the bank and walked up to the teller window. Though she was extremely calm, it was obvious to those that were around that something was very wrong. Jennifer was able to tell a bank teller what was going on, and the teller alerted the bank manager. The manager says that she recalls Jennifer looking petrified. Yeah, <laughs> we e- done it. Even if she had appeared completely normal, the request for such a large amount of money would have likely been enough to raise red flags yeah. for the bank. 
The bank account Jennifer tried to withdraw from was a joint account, so the teller couldn't issue the money without Dr. Uh, couldn't issue her the money without Dr. Pettit present. But it was obvious that this was not a scam. Mm-hmm. So the teller went to the manager who arranged for Jennifer to take out a line of credit that would allow her to get the $15,000 she requested and three bundles of $5,000. The teller explained to the manager that Hayes had told Ms. Hawk Pettit that he would kill her family if the police were notified. But around 9.30 a.m., the manager snuck into her office, turned off the lights, and called 911 anyway. And I think that was great. I think she should have. I do, too. The manager told the dispatcher that Jennifer Hawk Pettit had indicated that the home invaders were, quote, being nice. So, again, that kind of goes back Mm -hmm. to what you were saying about they kind of give you... Like a false sense of security. That they don't want anything. Right. But you know, your money, or, yeah. you know, we'll be out of here soon, you know. Um, so she said that they were being nice and she believed that they only wanted their money. Oh my God. Poor, poor woman. Uh, I know. By 9.45 a.m., seven to nine Cheshire police officers, including SWAT team members, were working to secure a perimeter around the Pettit home and a police helicopter was en route, but they did not want to reveal their presence. Yeah. So that should have been the end of the story. These dudes had every opportunity to take the money and run, never to be seen again, right? Mm-hmm. But, and this is where it becomes tragic, um, when Hayes and Jennifer returned to the home, Commissar Jevsky informed Hayes that he had sexually assaulted little Michaela. He said that he had performed oral sex on her and recorded the act on his phone. Oh my god. Ugh, disgusting. He had also posed the young girl in various sexual positions while he masturbated, snapping photos along the way. This was Hayes? This was the younger one, Commissar Jevsky. Okay, okay. Yeah, Hayes was when the one that took okay. Jennifer to the bank. Right, okay. I thought so, it was the opposite, but I... Yeah, okay. While Anyways. they were at the bank, mm-hmm. the younger one did this what to What a disgusting the daughter. fucking idiot. Ugh. Now, Commissar Jevsky told Hayes that it was his time to square things up by raping Jennifer, which Hayes agreed to and proceeded to do on the living room floor. Oh, my God. So now the 11-year-old has been sexually assaulted. The mother has been raped. And uh, it was his wife's screams and loud thumping sounds upstairs that awoke Dr. Pettit again from his semi-conscious state in the basement. Mm Mm-hmm. He yelled up and heard one of the invaders say, don't worry, it's all going to be over in a couple of minutes. Can you imagine? No. Ugh. I wonder where, I wonder if they were wondering where the father was, like the wife and the kids. Oh yeah, I'm sure. They probably thought he was dead. Oh my God. You know? <laughs> so somehow Dr. Pettit managed to untie himself, escape, and yell for help despite being seriously injured. Mm-hmm. Hayes and Commissar Jevsky heard a commotion outside, so Commissar Jevsky went down to check on Mr. Pettit and realized that he had escaped. He told Hayes this, and it sent Hayes into a rage. In his angered state, he strangled Jennifer to death. Oh, my God. 
Dr. Pettit didn't realize at the time that what he had heard was the sound of his wife being raped and murdered. He emerged from the basement having no idea what was going on in the main part of the house. A neighbor by the name of Dave Simchik was met with the gruesome and horrifying sight of a man beaten so and beaten and so bloody that he didn't recognize him. His arms and legs were bound and his head was split open on top and in oh, the front. God. In 2010, the neighbor said, I did not recognize him at first. His face was banged up. It just didn't look like Dr. Pettit. Dr. Pettit's first words were, Dave, Dave, call 911. As Dave dialed 911, he looked up and saw a police officer walking up the driveway with his rifle drawn. It was about that time the Pettit house went up in flames. Oh, my God. The police asked Dr. Pettit if anyone was in the house, to which he choked out the girls. To this day, both men blame each other for pouring gasoline around the house and including directly on the girls while they were tied to their beds and lighting a match. Both of these cowards blamed the other. Right. Of course they did. Yeah. So this was seven hours into this home invasion that the two men finally burst out of the Pettit house and jumped into the family's SUV. All the while, these police officers are surrounding the right. house doing nothing. Yeah. The duo rammed a police car while trying to escape, and they were quickly apprehended. Imagine at the same time, this house is in flames, mm-hmm. okay? So they didn't make it far at all. When captured, Hayes gave police a fake name and said he didn't know if anyone else was in the house when police asked. Okay, you fucking liar. Piece of shit. Commissar Jevsky, on the other hand, was actually honest and told police that three people were inside and that they needed to hurry if they were going to save them. By then, it was already too Mm. late. I mean, one of them was already dead. Yeah. So, little Michaela, still tied to the bed, died of smoke inhalation. My gosh. Haley, a strong athlete, managed to free herself but didn't make it out in time. She died of smoke inhalation and was found collapsed at the top of the staircase. Oh, my God. That broke my heart. Yeah. Because she was doing her damnedest to get out of there and just yep. collapsed before she could make it down the stairs. I wonder if she went to her sister's room first and I don't was know. like, she can't save her. I don't know. Both girls were on fire as they inhaled the thick smoke. They were on fire? They were on fire. Oh, my gosh. So, of course, everyone questions, why did the police not immediately enter the home? Why instead did they surround and monitor the house and wait while the girls were being assaulted? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because the police were ordered not to enter the home. Assuming it was a possible hostage situation, they were ordered not to contact anyone inside the house. As it turned out, Jennifer Hawk Pettit was suspected of being complicit in the robbery because although she looked petrified and her hands trembled inside the bank, she was remarkably calm throughout throughout the entire ordeal. At first, they suspected that she was a part of the plot and not an innocent victim. Oh my god. Is that horrible or what? We thought the LA police department was fucking stupid. <laughs> Cheshire, you fucking suck. Yes. So, literally, like, 
that's her own house that's half her bank account yeah like if she wanted to get money out i'm sure she could have found a way around it without faking exactly that's so stupid like i don't know take a debit card Mm -hmm. literally literally oh my god is that not ridiculous So the evidence in the trials was so gruesome and heart-wrenching that free counseling was provided to the jurors, and several of them experienced severe emotional issues as a result of hearing the uh, coroner describe the women's injuries and seeing the crime scene photos. Do you think being a juror to something like that would get to you? I think... In a way, yes, I think I could do it. Um, I mean, but this is what we do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it would be very hard to see. But and- do you think you could get over it without counseling? Yeah. I do, too. Yeah. Um, so when the prosecution showed the jury the disgusting photos that Karma, uh, Koma Sarjevsky took of Michaela, the trial was cut short for the day because several of the jurors were struggling so much emotionally with the evidence. Well, that would probably that get would to get, me. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, oh, I hate that they had to see that. I do, too. But it's important. I mean, yeah, it's a huge part of this. My pillow fell. Oh. So evidence that Komisar Jevsky raped Michaela came from her autopsy, during which during which the state medical examiner, Dr. Wayne Carver, found his semen in her body. Oh my so god. So not only did he do those disgusting things I spoke of earlier, but he did rape the poor little girl. Oh my god. Forensic testing results showed that there was bleach on Michaela's clothing, indicating that Komisar Jevsky may have tried to eliminate DNA evidence from the assault. According to Hayes' confession, Komisar Jevsky provoked him into raping Miss, T- Miss Pettit. Right, because you couldn't have said no. Like, that's your partner, I'm sure, if you didn't rape her. Yeah, like, seriously. So both Hayes and Komisar Jevsky confessed confessed to the murders. Each of these monsters claimed that the other was the driving force and mastermind uh, behind the home invasion. This disgusting motherfucker, Komisar Jevsky, also blamed Dr. Pettit for the the murders. Excuse me? Mm -hmm. His head was split open Mm -hmm. in two different places. In Joshua Komisarjevsky's diary, which was later entered into evidence, he called Dr. Pettit a coward and claimed that he could have saved his family if he wanted to. And I, so I feel like I listened to a podcast where they were mad at the dad for not doing anything, like leaving the house. You are tied up with your head split. He did what he should have done. He did all he could do. Yeah, like if that were me. Like, the wife or one of the daughters, that's what I would want my dad to do. Yeah. I wouldn't want my dad to come upstairs. And, and get murdered as well. And then we have, you know, no hope. I mean, like, they didn't know that there was police around. Well, I mean, first of all, fuck those police. But, yeah. like, they didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, like, their only hope in their heads was, you know, one of them getting free and yeah. calling the police. No, I think it would be different, like, say, if the doctor had access to a gun or something yeah. like that. Or if his, even if he did. Yeah. And his, but his head was split open in two yeah, he's probably he, so disoriented and like weak and probably could not accurately shoot that is true that is true 
So, um, as you can imagine, many people in the town have questioned why the police didn't just stop Hayes and Miss Hawk Pettit at the bank. Like, yeah. Right. Apprehend him right the fuck there. Get her safe. And then there's only one motherfucker in the house that you have to take down. Right. Right? Exactly. Um, duh. I, I feel like that's very obvious. Yeah. Very obvious. Yeah. Oh, it just makes me sick. Like These police, police could have gone to the house while Hayes and what was her name again? Uh, Mrs. Miss, Pettit. Mrs. Pettit. Mm-hmm. Well, like once they're being put into custody or whatever, yeah. and other police could be at the house. Like, yeah. And there's saving, one dude there. Yeah. You know? Um, the police failed them. Oh, absolutely. I And I hate this. I feel like it happens so often. And you, sorry, you know what's sad about it? One time, me and Scotty called the police because we thought that this is when we lived with your mom mm-hmm. um, in Covington mm-hmm. um, when I was pregnant. We called the police because we swore there was somebody under the house. Like, oh yeah, yeah we yeah, could yeah. hear it. And so we called the police, and literally, like probably ten police officers busted into our house. They didn't even knock on the door. They just busted they in with their fucking guns drawn. What? They searched every single room. They searched our backyard. They did a perimeter around the house. Holy cow. They busted for, into your house. They busted with in, yeah. Guns drawn. Yeah, because like terrifying. we called them. We were so scared, dude. Like we were so scared. Yeah, but like what if they thought y'all were the intruders or something and shot you? Like that's terrifying. You can't just do that. Right. But the point being is that they came and it literally took them not even like a minute to get there yeah. and there was like 10 of them wow and i mean that's impressive but it's very yeah and so this is an actual like this that was just an armadillo <laughs> yeah like this is an armadillo serious yeah that's ugh. so to make things worse the cheshire police have not admitted any wrongdoing why would they why would they or offered even an apology or even just a simple explanation to the families of the victims he literally lost his whole entire family Mm -hmm. because the police didn't do their jobs right yep and because two losers you know did that um so when the pettit and hawk families and the community responded with outrage the cheshire police were forced to hold a news conference in it they praised the action of the first responders that day but many of the townspeople are not convinced that the first responders did their jobs at all locals believe either that they weren't properly trained or that they were too fearful to engage with the two men that's ridiculous you are police officers protect and serve my ass you have weapons on you if you're too scared then you probably shouldn't don't need be, a, to be police a police officer, officer yeah because i'm sure there are scarier situations that you mm-hmm. may end up being in so most of the cheshire uh townspeople believe as do i that the police should have just entered the fucking home 100 <laughs> percent. instead they let these girls die while they were just outside of the home yep that is tragic yeah i mean i do understand how um like you know um mrs pettit did tell the bank Mm -hmm. person that you know if she didn't get the money that they were going to kill her daughters Mm -hmm. or whatever so i mean they probably were scared that yeah if they thinking it's a hostage situation yeah but still like i feel like there's enough police officers 
you know you could do something yes. just like just the first plan we said before would have been the best plan to yeah. do i mean even if one person has to die i mean as awful as it sounds that's better than all of them and all of them did well besides the dad but all three of the yeah. women died because yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh so um the police department of course has received hateful emails Good. for years Good. after the murders <laughs> from people that are upset about the police response they deserve that shit mm-hmm. our police did what they were trained to do said the cheshire town manager michael malone okay michael yeah okay Retra- trained to do nothing is that what you're trained to, <laughs> to do let people die when you're supposed to save them mm-hmm. okay so the killers joshua komosarjevsky and stephen hayes are serving life in prison uh, the two of them were both originally sentenced to death, but just like in a story recently, uh, Connecticut abolished capital punishment in 2012. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. I feel like if you're already on death row and then they abolish it, the people on death row should already die. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with that. During court, a detective testified that during Komisarjevsky's three-hour-long detailed confession of what happened that night, he never once cried or expressed any emotion or remorse. A sociopath. I don't remember where I read this, but I did read that he even laughed during the confession. That's disgusting. Mm -hmm. I don't understand what pleasure they get out of laughing like that because it's like... No, literally nobody likes that. Nobody's proud of you or like, yeah, mystified by you. You're We're not just a cool like, guy. We fucking hate you. Yeah, it just like, shows the lack hated? of empathy and and yeah, ugh, like you said, psychopath. Sick. After Hayes was sent to death row in 2010, he became pen pals with a woman named Lynn from North Carolina. Why Lynn? Why? Uh, these men that get these like women that admire them, it just it's like just Chris disgusting. Watts having a oh, fucking yeah. girlfriend and uh, the girlfriend doesn't think he should be in fucking uh, prison? Yeah. yeah. Like are you fucking kid like you deserve to be in prison too just for fucking thinking that. Like exactly. you're probably a danger to society. Ugh. So, in the letters he sent to her, Hayes confessed to killing 17 women and teenage girls between the ages of 14 and 25 in the New England area from the early 1980s up to 2007. Was that confirmed? It was not confirmed, but listen to this. So, according to Hayes, many of his victims were women and girls he picked up as hitchhikers and taken back to his home. Hayes said that he took shoes from his victim to keep his trophies. And shockingly, investigators actually found several women's sneakers in his home after he was arrested for the crimes he committed in Cheshire. So although it's not confirmed, I was not able to find anything else about it. Why did he have these women's shoes? That is very sus. So um, if he did, like, just fuck him. Ugh. Fuck him anyways. Yeah. In one of the letters he wrote to Lynn, Hayes also said that he videotaped the torture and death of a young woman, which he claimed was, and I quote, by far the best snuff film I've ever created. Kill me. Kill me. Ew. Kill me. Yeah. He's just a fucking monster. I feel like if you 
admit to that kind of stuff, whether it's true or not, yeah. there should be some kind of punishment. Absolutely. But why, one, why would you say that if it's not true? Like, you think that's cool or something to people this People do do that, though. That's so stupid. People do do that. Just it's, wanting to be, like, more famous than he already is. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, I did do this, but look at all this other shit I've done, too. Right, and I didn't get caught. Right. And Ugh. then Lynn continued to talk to him. I'm not sure what happened with Lynn after that. That's just all I got out of that. So, <sighs> the lone survivor, husband and father, Dr. William Pettit, gave up on his diabetes practice immediately after the killings to focus on the Pettit Family Foundation. And soon thereafter, he met Christine Palaf, his now wife, who he married in August of 2012. Um, she, at the time of uh, their meeting, was working with the foundation. When Dr. Pettit, who was a strong supporter of the death penalty, learned that the men who killed his wife and children would not be put to death for their crimes, he said, I think when people willfully, wantingly, without any remorse, take someone else's life, they forfeit their right to be among us. I agree. Agreed, doctor. Agreed. According to the Pettit Family Foundation website, the foundation funds are given to foster the education of young people, especially women in the sciences, to improve the lives of those affected by chronic illnesses and to support their effect uh, to support the efforts to help and protect those affected by violence. Uh, this foundation has given away millions to charity. So Dr. Pettit and his wife, Christine, had a son together named William Pettit III, who was born on November 23rd, 2013. I kind of don't like that. I don't dislike it. I, I mean, I clearly he was broken and, you know, by the tragedy of losing his family. But what is he supposed to do? Just be alone forever? Yeah, you wallow in pity for the rest of your life. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just don't he like deserves. the timeline of that. Well, this happened in 2007. He met her five years later. Oh, I thought it was in 2010 for whatever reason. No, I'm pretty sure it said 2012. Yeah, 2012. I think that's okay. And I think he deserves to be happy. And he deserves to have a life and another child. And, you know, he deserves that. I, I don't see the problem in it. I don't think you should have to be alone your entire life because your family's yeah. murdered. I don't know. That's just me. But um, so his son was born November 23rd, 2013. So this man's not a young man and he's got a young, very young child now. Yeah. In October of 2013, Pettit announced that he was considering running for Congress for the Republican Party, but he ultimately decided not to and chose to spend more time with his new wife and baby, friends said. In May of 2016, Pettit announced a bid for Connecticut's 22nd House District. Pettit was elected and currently serves as a representative in the Connecticut House of Representatives. Wow. The end. My dad wanted to run for Congress when I was a... I think he'd be a good one. So that's it. Um, Tragic. Very, very, that's a very sad story. It's disgusting is what it is. It makes life, like, so much scarier. It is, yeah, yeah. You just, you can't trust anybody. No. You're in the grocery store, and this man says, yep, that's the one. Mm, It makes me never want to go out in public. Oh, God. 
Well, we'll take a little break and we will be right back. This episode is sponsored by Rustic Peach. Rustic Peach is a small business owned by self-proclaimed crunchy mom, Jessica Armstrong. They offer over 20 different items, including lip balms, body products, and luxury candles made with pure soy. All of their items are handmade in small batches by a certified aromatherapist using only sustainable and clean ingredients. All of their fragrances are free of phthalates and parabens. I have purchased tons of items from Jessica, and I seriously cannot say that I've had a single complaint. And the fact that everything is natural makes it 10 times better. I've actually got her flannel and fleece candle burning right now, and it is oh so good. While Rustic Peach was originally based out of Covington, Georgia, they recently made a move to Minnesota. As you can imagine, packing your entire life and business away and moving it across the country can be insanely difficult. Let's help support Jessica at her new home base with the holidays coming. You can reach Jessica at rusticpeachga.com, email her at rusticpeachnaturals at gmail.com, or find her Instagram at rusticpeachnaturals, and she also has a Facebook page, which is under Rustic Peach GA. All right, welcome back, guys. Um, I'm doing um, Mika Jordan. Have you ever heard of her? I don't think I have. I may when you start telling the story, but it doesn't really ring a bell for me. So I enjoy when I learn new stories that I haven't heard of before. So Me too. Makes it more interesting. Is um, this a recent case? No. Um, I had never heard of it either. I See, I was researching another case, but then I came across a documentary for this one. Okay. And I just felt compelled to talk about it so that's I changed up what I was doing All right. um, for everything that I've seen on her her case is Mika Jordan the broken princess if that rings a bell Mm-mm. so I watched a, um, a documentary about it um, on YouTube um, from crime beat and um, so all that's where all of my notes came from but it was very um informative they didn't give her birthday or anything but just know that she was six years old when she died okay so also real quick um i do want to add even though my uh, my case is over i also watched a documentary and did research online but i did watch a documentary on, on my case online as well it was an hbo documentary hbo okay mm-hmm. cool okay so the thing that makes this so sad besides the fact that she's a six-year-old girl was that number one she was insanely beautiful like you should look a picture of her she was so beautiful Mm -hmm. but she was also like the happiest kid in the world um her stepfather was like the first person to speak in the uh in the documentary and he was he said that he was convinced that you could not wipe a smile off of her face like she's just always smiling just always happy there was never a bad day she could not have a bad day like he said that if it was raining outside and they were supposed to go to the zoo instead of you know like a typical kid where they'd be like i want to go to the zoo Mm -hmm. she'd be like 
sweet let's go jump in the rain puddles or wow. you know that's just the type of just kid she always was always the, making the best out of everything huh? yes that's amazing that's like a little angel i know right because it's hard to find a kid like that yeah <laughs> yeah um so her favorite thing in the world was ladybugs Oh, yes. how cute. Her mom said that she would, like, collect ladybugs throughout the day <laughs> and, like, keep them in a jar or something. Mm-hmm. But after a few days, she had to let them go just in case they had a family. Oh. Because she didn't want them to not be with their families. That is totally something I would do. Isn't that so <laughs> pure and innocent? That is amazing. Yes. And, and Okay, so, like, obviously I'm not as pure and innocent as this gorgeous six-year-old, but... Um, that's always my thing why I do not kill bugs. I always say they have a family too. I'm and not going to wash them. I, I, I don't. I don't kill anything, but that's just me. Yeah, she just throws them away. I literally watched her throw a spider away the other day and, <laughs> and it shocked can. me because that's not what I typically see her do, but she just picked that thing up and put it in the trash can and I was like, okay. Still alive. <laughs> For now. <laughs> I literally will not kill a bug though. I, I won't. Um, I probably wouldn't kill it. Well, Scotty's calling me. Jesus Christ. Anyways, um, I wouldn't kill it, but like, I would make Scotty kill it. So, (laughs) so you're not the murderer, right? Well, I just don't like to hear the crunch when they die or feel it. Yeah. Anyways, so Mika and her little brother Levi spent half of their time with um their biological mother named Kyla Woodhouse and uh, their stepfather Brian Woodhouse, and then the other half of of their time um they spent with um their biological father Spencer Jordan, and uh, their stepmother Marie Magoon. Okay. Um, so around the time that this story took place, there was actually a custody dispute going on, like a, like a really intense custody dispute. Mm -hmm. And, um, so on this particular weekend, Mika and Levi were supposed to be with their biological mother, but, um, they were with their biological father for some reason. Okay. Um, so... On November 13th, 2011, Mika's stepmom made an urgent call to 911 saying that her daughter had fallen down a flight of stairs and wasn't breathing. Oh my God. And I listened to the 911 call. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys, she did not seem concerned at all. She was being so casual and nonchalant about this. We should insert that. You want to? Yeah. Okay, let me make a, a little mark here. One for what city? Uh, Calgary. Do you need fire, police, or ambulance? Ambulance. My daughter fell down the stairs, and she's not there. She uh, She's not conscious. Okay, I have help on the way. Just stay on the line. How old is she? She's six. Six? Is she awake? No. Uh, no. Pardon? N- no. No? Is she breathing? No, I don't, I, I don't think so. Okay. So, as you can see from that, she did not give a fuck. She just seemed like... And that breaks my heart. Like, the, and, you know, like it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, um, the 911 sent out an ambulance to get Mika. Um, when they found her, she was unres- unresponsive and in full cardiac arrest. <gasps> yeah. Oh. So, they rushed her to the hospital. Um, so the police and, um, 
I guess it's like CPS, um, were called to investigate because the injuries that Mika sustained did not align with a fall down the stairs. And this included um, abdominal trauma, head trauma, bruising throughout her whole body, a severe burn on her left hand, her hair was matted, which isn't an injury, but it's definitely noteworthy. And it's just neglect. Yes. Um, she had a torn frenulum and lip. <gasps> and you know what a frenulum? Well, well, yeah, do, obviously. Because you're a piercer. Yeah. Um, so I actually put in here what a frenulum was, but if you want to explain it, because... Okay, I will. Um, being that I am a professional body piercer, this is an area of the body that I pierce. Um, so if you lift your lip up, lift your top lip up, there is this little, uh, what would you call it? A piece of meat that basically connects like your, the little line in between your two front teeth to your upper lip. I guess that would be the best way to just, you could probably just uh, explain it in like a actual medical terms. But if you've ever heard of a smiley piercing, that's where the smiley piercing is done. Okay. That's what I was going to ask if it was because mm-hmm. you did pierce that on me. No, the, the like medical definition of it, I did not understand. I did not get the smiley <laughs> piercing from that. Okay. So it's, uh, it's basically it just says a small fold or ridge of tissue that supports or checks the motion of the part to which it is attached. Okay. So there are different areas of the body that have a frenulum, I guess. Yeah. It says in particular, a fold of skin beneath the tongue or between the lip and the gum. Okay. So yeah. I guess the part under your tongue. See, I the, just call that the webbing when the I webbing. do piercings, but yeah. yeah, I call that area. Um, the frenulum is the smiley. Right. I guess also on the bottom, you would have a frenulum that connects. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, so the medical examiner said that that is usually a result from a blow to the mouth. Well, yeah. Yeah. So clearly (laughs) that doesn't just happen. No, it doesn't. Um, And you said it was torn. Yeah, it was torn. Oh, Mm -hmm. poor baby. Um, the neighbor of Mika's father's house was interviewed and he told the investigators that he had noticed Mika looking banged up mm-hmm. and like there was blood on her face. And like what? he asked uh, the stepmom, like, you know, like what happened to her? And she was just like, oh, she, you know, she just falls a lot. Oh. Pretty much. Um, he also said that it looked like she had fear in her eyes, oh. like she was scared um, and she hadn't been to school so how long at this point had she been with them um not long i I think it was like a matter of four days oh my god yeah okay so mika was left or kept on life support until the very next day at 1 47 p.m november 14th 2011 and this is when she passed away oh gosh yes so six days after Mika passed away, they held a memorial service for her. They played her favorite song, which was Over the Rainbow. Oh. Yes. And her mom said that uh, when she was four months old, they t- took a trip to Hawaii. And um, so she just kind of, you know, uh, you know, that song resonated with her because it's Hawaiian or, you know, whatever. Mm. And it just, you Aww. know, she just really liked it because it, it correlated with that. Hmm. Um, and they said that whenever she was at her mom's house, she would constantly sing that song. Oh, what a sweet babe. Um, she also had a princess balloon floating above her casket. Oh. 
Not long after her funeral, the police revealed that Mika's death was obviously not an accident. Yeah. Her injuries just did not align with someone who had fallen down the stairs. I mean, honestly, how many children do you know that have fallen down the stairs and died? Um, not none. None. No. I've fallen down the stairs and here I am alive. Exactly. (laughs) Um, In the interviews between Brian and Marie, they both claimed that Mika had fallen down the stairs, but neither one of them witnessed it happen. Um, And in these interviews, neither of them showed emotion and both of them made a negative comments about Mika. What? Like about her attitude and just the way she was as a person. Which is so fucked up. And, you know, like, the person in the documentary who was actually, the like, the detective on this case, he said that, you know, both of those are huge red flags. Like, Yeah, she's dead, and all you have to do is talk about how awful she was. Right. Like, usually when people die, you're, like... Mourning them and talking about how wonderful... Even if they were horrible. Of course. You don't think about the bad when someone you love dies. Exactly. So, only a few weeks before Mika's tragic death brian and kyla had called um the alberta child and family services um this takes place in alberta i was gonna say it's yeah so canada yeah um mika had unusual scrapes and bruises on her body after returning home from a court-ordered visit to her father and stepmother's house so like she had been being abused for you know a while but like the thing that brought her to her death was like a four-day period or whatever oh my god yeah um, and, um, you know, when she was rushed to the hospital the day before her death, they discovered a third degree burn on her, the palm of her hand and it, nobody could explain Mm-mm. why it was there. You know what I mean? Mm-mm-mm. So those are just some things that kind of further prove that yeah. this is not an accident. Mm-hmm. So one of the really sad things about this um, case is that Levi, you know, her brother, had witnessed what happened to Mika. Oh, and he, how old was Levi? So I think he was four. Okay. Yeah, he was four. Four years old. Um, he was so little and so young and obviously just very scared yeah. and just refused to talk about it. Like now, he would not talk about was it. Was he abused? No. Wow. Just Mika. Um, so the investigators ruled him out as a possible witness, which made Kyla and Brian very happy because yeah. they just wanted to save him from, you know, having to go to court and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I did want to note that Levi had repeatedly said, repeatedly said that he hates his middle name, which is Spencer, mm. which is his father's name. So, unfortunately, police hit a quote-unquote roadblock and were able to really pin the murder on anyone. And I say a roadblock because this comes back later. So just remember that. Like, people were not hearing about this case in the news. Mm -hmm. You know, people just thought that... Mika had passed away due to a fall. No, everybody was suspicious about it, but they couldn't... They didn't understand why the police weren't talking about it or like... Yeah. Right. So, a year after Mika's death, Spencer and Marie had moved on with their lives as if nothing happened. A year. Literally, like, Spencer (sighs) got a new job that paid really well. Um, And before that, he had been, like, living off of unemployment and, you know, other sources of, like, government income or whatever. Yeah. Um, They were out drinking and partying and going to concerts. Concerts. They were bungee jumping. They went to hockey games. 
Is that how you say that? A hockey game? A hockey game? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and they even made some new friends. Um, and these friends were very important to Spencer and Marie because they didn't judge them for what had happened. Like, uh, they were very supportive of Spencer and Marie. Like, you know, like, no matter what you did, like, you know, we're here for you, blah, 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 blah. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. So... It turns out that the police hadn't actually hit a wall in their investigation. They had actually been conducting an eight-month sting operation, a Mr. Big operation. But still allowing that little boy to be around them? I don't know. I don't... It never really said whether or not Levi was around or not. I would assume not, but... I hope not. So, police officers created, like, real life situations um that appeal to people um that they are trying to catch um they get them they get them to trust them so they eventually like confess to Mm -hmm. whatever crime it is that's what this mr big operation is okay so on the day that mika died the investigate the investigators decided to go through with this plan and they named it sash s-a-s-h would stand which my god which stands for safe and sound in heaven oh that was the name of their little operation mm-hmm. so remember those friends that mm-hmm. spencer and marie had made oh those were undercover cops ah yeah these officers had the duty of befriending these two idiots and then invite them into a made-up criminal organization what so like mr big Uh was like a crime lord Uh and the only way that they could join they had to commit a crime no they had to confess to the crime that they were suspects of which sounds so blatantly obvious that this is a trap but yeah well obviously they're not the (laughs) smartest individuals yeah so literally like every good thing going on in their lives was fake it was undercover cops creating these real life scenarios to make you know them more compelled to confess yeah for eight months that's insane wow so mr big the crime lord quote unquote (laughs) told spencer that he couldn't help him evade the police and prison if he didn't fully confess to what had happened to mika so spencer quote unquote confesses and goes on to say i ended up taking a little bit of anger out on my daughter not i didn't hit her more or less pushed her but i remember her falling back on on our hard tile floors and uh she smoked her head pretty good oh that's a terrible way to put it she smoked her head pretty good Mm -hmm. like you fucking asshole yeah just no no remorse none so mr big could tell that this wasn't the truth so he kind of you know pushes him a little bit more keeps prodding yeah so finally spencer makes the actual confession where he says i hit her hit her somewhere in the stomach area and she fell over i hit her hard i guess the best way to put it is i didn't hold back (sighs) disgusting like a true living breathing shit wad oh poor baby so after this um 
Marie was supposed to have her little interview confession thing mm-hmm. with um I'm I feel like in the documentary it was kind of unclear but maybe I'm just stupid I don't know but it was like there were two Mr. Biggs and so Spencer was talking to one and then Marie was talking to another one okay um but Spencer went first and so directly afterwards he called Marie and told her that his confession felt more like a police interview which made him feel like paranoid and nervous um because obviously it was (laughs) you know um (sighs) But the thing, the difference between Marie and Spencer was, is um, Spencer was always paranoid about the police, where Marie was not. She, she did not worry about it. They're getting off scot free. She, yeah, that's literally what she thought. God. Um, so she didn't really feel like there was any need to worry, um, and surprisingly, not really because they're idiots. She was able to calm Spencer's nerves. Mm-hmm. So, Marie's interview was directly after Spencer's, um, and she gave far more details than Spencer had given. Oh. So, Marie admits to burning Mika's hand with a lighter for 30 seconds. <gasps> what? And then goes to say, I'm not proud of it, but that's what happened. Oh. Like, she held her down, like, held her hand between her legs. That makes me want to puke and held a lighter to her hand for 30 seconds that literally makes me nauseous and like a few days before mika's death um marie burns her hand and then calls like you know a helpline Mm -hmm. to ask for you know medical advice about the burn and the lady was questioning her like you know um what color is the burn she was like it's white and then she was like, does she feel any pain on it? No, not at all. It doesn't seem like it bothers her. And the lady was like, ma'am, that's really concerning because third degree burns turn white and sometimes you don't feel it. Oh, my God. And and Marie was like, oh. And obviously they didn't treat it or anything, oh. which I personally feel like they like the health line should have reported that to somebody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, even if it was like to her like her primary doctor or something yeah so marie goes on to say she wasn't doing what she was told and it was upsetting spencer and spencer pushed her pretty hard she described how spencer had pushed her into the kitchen cabinets that were about six to eight feet away from like where she was standing yeah so he pushed her really hard shoved the shit out of her yeah like shoving a grown man Mm mm-hmm so Marie also uses a pillow as a prop to show the crime lord how she stood over Mika, held her by her hands, and violently shook her. She says she fell down the stairs because of me a couple of times, and it was my fault. So the undercover cop asked mm-hmm. Mika, or asked if Mika had hit her head from falling down the stairs, and M- Marie replies with, "Oh yeah." Oh, like you fucking scumbag. Mm, I hate them. And then Marie says, yeah, and it bugs me that people perceive it as the Cinderella syndrome. Like it was me, the mean, evil stepmother who hated Mika. And I beat her until the day I met her until the okay so this is exactly how it was on the documentary Mm -hmm. but what i feel like she's like it's supposed to from the day i met her yeah until 
the end Mm -hmm. because she wasn't mine and it wasn't like that like yes bitch it fucking was you evil monster so after all of that the mr big evidence wasn't automatically allowed during the trial and so i'll tell you in a second okay so the sting was in danger of not being able to be used at all Mm -hmm. so sting operations like this aren't automatically considered admissible in court because there needs to be a number of safety nets to make sure the confessions were actual truth and the suspects were like we're just not talking out of their ass to seem like big and bad and yeah yeah. um in order to prove that spencer and marie were saying was true the investigators had to look for like corroboration between their stories and like the medical evidence right so they're, you know, trying to make sure that their stories match mm-hmm. the evidence that they have. So, fortunately, the evidence provided was ruled reliable and admissible. Mm. Some of the other abuse Mika endured included being dragged up the stairs by her hair and thrown into her room. Oh, that, oh my God, that hurts me so much. Mm-hmm. They also made her run up and down the stairs while her hands were tied. What? The couple would often push her while she was doing this so that she would actually, like, fall down the stairs. What the fuck? Dude, and, like, no kid deserves this at all for any reason. But if you look at a picture of her, like, you can't even imagine somebody wanting to do that to her. Mm-hmm. Like, she... So, I like, there in the documentary, there were a lot of, um, like, home videos of her singing and just, you oh. know just being a cute little six-year-old in one of the videos she was just kind of singing and dancing to fireflies by owl city it was so sweet and then there's another video of her skateboarding with levi and she would like fall but just get up and she would shake her body because her parents (laughs) were going shake it off shake it off and so she'd shake off the pain and get right back onto it and it's like like a tough little girl how could you do that to her it dude this it really broke my heart So, after hearing about all of that abuse in court, Mika's mother collapsed outside sobbing. My God. Because she had no idea that that was going on. Three and a half years after Mika's death, Spencer and Marie were found guilty of second degree murder. They were sentenced to 17 years of prison without the possibility of parole, which is way too fucking short of a term. Agreed. Okay, so... Kyla and Brian had pushed for first degree because they were unsatisfied that yeah. it, it was second degree. Like they no. they deserved way long. They 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 deserved life in prison. Absolutely. So um, Spencer and Marie filed an appeal. Well, they filed appeal after appeal, trying to get the conviction overturned or shortened because they you know clung on to their innocence or whatever (sighs) um and the prosecution kept pushing for a first degree so i did read that in canada first degree murder is only granted for three different scenarios um number one it's a pre-planned and predetermined death so obviously just like here in the states Mm -hmm. i don't really know um what all first degree entails in the states but Mm -hmm. The second one is killing a police officer. Mm. So you automatically get first degree if you kill a police officer. But not a child. Right. Mm. 
So the third is the killing of someone within other grades of offenses, one of them being while a person is confined. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit more complicated than that, but um, just to like dumb it down a little. Um, basically, considering she was at her father's house instead of at her mother's house, which is where she was supposed to be, right. that's how the um, custody was that's where she was supposed to be okay whether um, her mother said it was okay or not Mm -hmm. technically it's against what they agreed to so she was confined pretty much so um, this is what they you know presented to court to try and push for first degree right yeah so Five years after Mika's death, something rare and surprising happened. Spencer and Marie's convictions were upgraded to first-degree murder. Wow. Yes. Both were convicted of first-degree murder without the possibility of parole for 25 years. Very good. So, yay for them. Still needs to be a never-get-parole. I agree. I 100% agree. Like, mm. you can't just kill a six-year-old mm. and then get parole. Like, yeah. in my opinion. No. So, that is the case of Mika Jordan. And I personally do not like the title, Mika Jordan, the Broken Princess. Yeah. Because she, she wasn't not, broken. She was just a princess. Yeah. She's a motherfucking princess. Why did they call her Broken? I don't know. Because she was abused, I guess. I guess. I don't yeah. know. But, you know, I feel like most princesses were like cinderella yeah she wasn't a broken princess she was she's like the most iconic one yeah so mika jordan you are an iconic princess oh poor baby so sad mm-hmm. well thank you for sharing i had never heard that me either me and now either. i want to see pictures of the beautiful Dude, queen so beautiful she had like like blonde as can be hair and it was curly and she had like bright eyes and just a beautiful smile she really she did look like a little baby princess oh well guys that is it for episode 21 um really quickly do we want to plug our social medias yes we do have at it oh god okay (laughs) so you can join our private facebook group on Facebook. <laughs> um, it's for God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice. Um, you can follow our Instagram at don't drink the Jones juice. Um, you can follow our TikTok at don't drink the Jones juice. And we've actually had a few requests for vlogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized for whatever reason in that one video that you posted of us going to see the Georgia Guidestones, uh-huh. I said vlogs. Yeah, you did. Guys, I know it's called vlogs. <laughs> I don't know why the fuck I said that. Um, it, I guess it goes along with uh, homicides <laughs> and cyanide. So That's so why I was like, vlogs? It's vlogs. Yes, yeah. I know it's vlogs. I don't know why I said it. <laughs> But anyways, um, so um, we might be posting more. I think we're going to visit um, an asylum here in Milledgeville. Yeah. Um, either sometime this week, I guess. So we'll try out. to do better on this next vlog. <laughs> the next vlog. <laughs> anyways, um, so keep out, keep an eye out for that because we're gonna really try hard to put out more than just you know our 
mm-hmm. podcast episodes every week. Um, you know, we want to engage and engage in you, engage with you guys as much as we can, especially Brooke since she's not in the Facebook group anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll get little glimpses of her from our vlogs. <laughs> so um, that's our TikTok, and then what else? our store frontier. Um, is where you can buy our merch. Um, it's storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. Mm-hmm. Um, and in case anybody was wondering, our um, collab with the Zen Expression, um, it ended, what, when was it? Tuesday, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so those shirts are no longer available, but you can still find our other merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. Um, send us your listener juice emails um your paranormal slash true crime experiences i I personally would love to hear more true crime me too so if you've got something please send it honestly it doesn't even have to be something you experience like it could be like um, something that happened in your neighborhood or or your your hometown or yeah you know um just something that i mean may not have um you know gone what is the word public like, yeah or like it didn't receive national attention mm-hmm. so we would love to hear those um is there anything else i don't think so but thank you guys for joining us yes and for god's sake don't drink the jones juice